This morning, I want to share uh, just a little bit with you this morning that we've had so many new people coming to our church here at, uh, at the Green Bay location as well as in Stevens Point. They're overflowing over there and uh, we're excited about all the new people that have come. But uh, a lot of people have had questions, you know, about, you know, how, do you, how does your church run? How do you guys deal with money and, and that sort of thing? And I thought I'd share with just a little bit of that this morning. Now, uh, give you a, an idea of how our church is structured. Um, we have, uh, as a part of being a 501c3 organization, corporation in the state of Wisconsin, uh, we have a board of trustees, which is really designed, in our case, just to meet the legal requirements of having a board of trustees, because that's what uh, the state requires. Uh, that's where you have your president, vice president, secretary, all that kind of stuff. And it's a very small group. It's basically made up of myself and my wife, Pastor Lathan and his wife, uh, Kelly Rue, who handles our finances, and then... To break it up so it's not just employees uh, of the corporation, we have uh, Denise and Bryce Pop, who also sh- serve on that. Um, it's uh, we're considered the legal trustees of of the corporation. Um, we don't really make any decisions at that level. I, I suppose ultimately, you know, we're responsible, and it kind of falls on us. We only meet like once a year, which I think is the legal requirements and stuff. Nothing really heavy happens there, but that's that's the technical trustees of the church. As far as actually making decisions in the church, um, our church is a little bit different than most evangelical churches uh, in, in America. Most evangelical churches, which is a word for something other than Catholic and Lutheran, is uh, uh, most of them are congregational churches. And in fact, some of them even have that in their name. We're XX congregational church, you know, and that sort of thing. And what that means is the congregation actually makes all the decisions of any substance at all in the church. If the church is going to change the color of the carpet, for example, uh, we'd all have to get together and vote. And vote on whether, whether we like this color versus another color. And that's where churches get fussing and fighting with each other over the, some of the most mundane, ignoramus, stupid stuff and fighting and having fits over stuff because they all get together and they this group wants this and this group and they have these political posturings and then they have their vote and all you got to do is have one more vote than the other guy has and your side wins and everybody's happy. Well, um, this particular way of running churches, in my main, my view, is completely ludicrous and insane. It is what I refer to as the inmates running the asylum. It would be like, can imagine your company... Unable to do anything unless all the employees agreed first. I'm going to be crazy. Boss comes in and says, we're going to invest some money in a new machine. And it's going to help us increase uh, our market share in our company. But uh, we can't do anything until all you guys on the floor get together and vote and see whether or not we can do that. No one would run a company like that. It's absurd, ludicrous, and insane. Yet that's why most churches today in America are run. One of the reasons most of them don't accomplish much of anything. 400,000 churches in America today, 80% of them plus, have about 100 people in them. Maybe 200 if they're really rocking and rolling. That's Why are they so small? That's about the max you can get of people together before they start strangling each other. In this insane system they have. It's just crazy. And why these pastors and churches hang on to this system is beyond me. But uh, we are more uh, like a congregation that's run uh, by spiritual leadership. Um, under the advice of elders and leaders in the church. 
what you have is uh, we have a council of men and women who we deem to be men and women of faith and are dedicated to God and dedicated to this church. And they get together and we, as the pastors, meet with them. And we go over anything of significance in the church. Sometimes we meet every other week. Sometimes we don't meet, you know, every, every other month. Just depending on the decisions that have to be made. And, uh, and in that case, we get the advice from them and then, then, then the fall, final call falls on me. Having said that, um, we started this running the church this way even back in uh, Stevens Point, those of you who've been part of that actually we have one of our guys from our original group there this morning how you guys doing and uh he's, he was on our committee back there and even way back then what six years now it's been um i made a determination determination in my heart man if you can't get people on board there's no sense in pushing forward and virtually everything we've ever done there and here has always been pretty much by unanimous consent you know there might have been one or two who didn't agree but if they didn't say anything it's unanimous consent you know and uh and that's the way we do things uh i don't run around like some little Mussolini, you know, say, I'm the fish around here and I'm calling the shots and if you don't like it, you can leave, you know. There's some pastors who do that in pastor-run churches, and but I don't do that. It's crazy and insane. I mean, what's the point of doing that? So that's really kind of how uh, it's run. Um, we don't spend a whole lot of time on the finances and stuff like that, although we do report to them and stuff. So we're doing something new this year. Over the next couple of months, we are ins- instituting a new uh, a group of people in the church uh, we don't quite have the name for it yet, but they're basically going to be a financial oversight board or committee or whatever we're going to call them. And these individuals, these are people who understand finances, who understand how to read balance sheets and that sort of thing, who are going to have constant access to our finances. We are going to give reports to them uh, of the status of the church financially and what's going on. They will also uh, be the ones who will uh, take a look at the uh, spending accounts of the senior staff in the church, pretty much me and Lathan maybe a couple of the other guys, and look at you know our credit card statements and, and uh, if anything's being uh, excessive or anything else like that. Um, I don't really spend much money. I don't know if you do, but uh, it'll be a pretty short meeting. What's that? Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, you know, uh, we don't really... But, but they'll have access to it and they can look at it. And their point is if they see something that doesn't look quite right, they don't make the financial decisions. They're just an oversight group. And if they see something that doesn't quite look right, then they can report it to the advisory group and to the auditors. uh, Just to make sure that everything is up front and clean and open as it possibly can be. And that's really our motive here, is to be as open and as responsible and as accountable as we can to God and to all of you uh, to how we handle the money in this church. Now, so that's kind of a new thing that we're doing and kind of going an extra mile on that. Um, uh, Let me do say this about the money in the church. Um, you know, something you de- do need to understand. We do need your financial support to run this organization. Um, I say that because sometimes people get the impression that it's not needed. Uh, it's, it's, I use the analogy in the first service of, like, if, you know, if you see somebody who has a really nice house and a really nice car and wears really nice clothes, you can make one or, of two assumptions. Number one, they got a lot of money and they're doing really well. Or number two, they're up to their eyeballs in debt. All right? Sad to say, most of the time it's number two. You know, they're overextended and they've got mortgages that they can barely pay and they're working like crazy and they're fighting with each other all the time about money and they're working two jobs, three jobs, trying to make everything meet. Not a happy place to be. Uh, when you walk into this facility and you see the kind of facility that we have, and it's really quite impressive. Uh, those of you watching by television, you ought to come check us out. It's a gorgeous facility. I dare say, 
Uh, this is probably one of the nicest church facilities in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, certainly in this city and for hundreds of miles around it, this is quite the place. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. If you haven't gone to all the ends of the building, you ought to go check it out. It's really fabulous. Now you can make one of two assumptions. One, these people have all the money in the world. Or number two, they're up to their eyeballs. It's number two. <laughs> all right? <laughs> now, one can criticize and say, well, you shouldn't be up to your eyeballs. And, well, whatever. It is what it is. It's certainly what we inherited. Um, but uh, it's, it's fine. It's just don't think that because this place is so cool that we have just got it made in the shade and that we, we don't need your help. We do need your help. And uh, running this organization is really quite uh, quite the deal. And all honestly, your financial support for whatever church you go to should really not be based on need at all. I'm talking about your, your general weekly giving, your tithes, your offerings, whatever you want to call them. It uh, should just be based on how God has blessed you, you bless back into the kingdom of God. And not based on how well the church is or is not doing. The reason I say that is because, you know, one of the things that I did when I first became pastor here uh, at this location, we did it in Stevens Point, is to print in the bulletin what came in the previous week and what comes in every week. So you get a sense of how things are going. Um, in this church, in, at this location, uh, the, the weekly budget is in the $55,000 a week category. You go, wow, that's a lot of money. What do you do with all that money? All of this, okay, all the stuff that you see here, the staff, all the ministries, all the things for the children, it certainly doesn't go to me, I'm not making out like a bandit, you know, nobody on the staff here is overly paid or anything uh, of, of ridiculous sort, I intentionally keep my salary probably the lowest on staff here, of, of all the people that work here, I'm probably, uh, certainly the, of the major group, I'm the lowest paid guy of the deal, why, because I'm not here for the money, I'm here because I love this place and because I believe God wants me here and I love ministering to people. Uh, I pastored in point for years with no salary at all and I guess really I still am. <laughs> you guys owe me a lot of money. No, but I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not about the money. Trust me, it costs me money to do this. I make a lot of money when I go speak around the country. Every time I hustle back here and I'm in the pulpit, you know, there's other places who want to pay me lots of money to come talk to them. I'd rather be here than any place else. I love being here. But, you know, people are goofy. They're just weird. And they, you shouldn't be driven by need one way or the other. The truth of the matter is, if all this was paid off and everything was great, and so, you should still give what you normally give based on what God has blessed you with. That's really the standard. You know, you shouldn't be looking at what came in the uh, offering week before and say, oh, I don't know, they don't need our money this week. I cut that in half, honey. They, you know, <laughs> they people think like that. Goodness gracious. First of all, you can usually see we're a little bit short. Okay. Say, so, well, how do you make it up? Well, special gifts come along the year. You know, people are blessed in certain ways and they give special gifts and that kind of helps us catch up. Uh, it'd be great if those gifts could help us do special things in the church, which is what they really should be, but they're just kind of helping us catch up because we don't quite make it. Um, but it's all a matter of, of, of a point of reference. You know, in, in point, I heard this the other day. Some person was over there and we print their thing. Now, over here, we need like $55,000 a week. There's like six. Little difference, you know, level over there. But someone stopped by their, the church in point, and they saw the previous offering had been $4,000. And their response is, $4,000? They don't need my money. $4,000 is nothing. 
But people are bizarre. But they'd have a heart attack if they looked at ours over here. You know, look at that money. They don't, need it. don't think in terms like that. It's not about that. First of all, this organization really does to do what we need to do. Uh, and, and we're pretty tight. Uh, Pastor Latham and I have traveled around. Uh, I travel a lot to churches all around America. We often see churches that are a lot smaller than ours that have double that. And we were at one church in Arizona. What? They're about 1,000 people less than we are. Their weekly budget was $110,000, you know. Um, you know, it just is what it is. But, I mean, you get a bunch of people together in facilities like this and try and do all these things, it gets very, very expensive. The good news is that most people here give and they support all that. Uh, and we're able to do what we do. So, anyway, don't think just because this place is really nice that, that you don't need help. But, listen, as open and as accountable as I am really going out of our way at the church here, and I want, just so you guys can always trust us in how we handle money, I do want to address an attitude that I think too many people certainly around the country have. I don't think we have a lot of it here, but even still here it can be some. And that is how people hang on to and are concerned so tightly about money. Um, Let me read our text again. Jesus said this, No one can serve two masters. You either will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I find it interesting in our text that the M in money, if you look in your Bible, is capitalized, as it is, as you can see it on the screen. The reason the translators did this is because there was a large indication that when Jesus used the word money here, it took on the status of an entity, as if it were a person or a kind of demigod. Uh, older texts like the King James Bibles it didn't even translate the word. They, used, they kept the original word Jesus said, which is the word mammon, okay, which meant money. Again, as if Jesus were referring to an entity. Later Christian writings often referred to mammon as a kind of a demon or a, or a god. Basically the god of money. One thing is for sure, Jesus uses the word in a competing sense for God. You cannot serve both God and mammon or money. Now why would Jesus have to tell his followers that you cannot serve both God and mammon? Because millions of people think that you can It's not uncommon at all for people to think that it's okay to serve both. In fact, make no mistake, there are millions of Christians in this country who I'm convinced really are much crazier, more crazy about mammon than they are about God. But I'll get to that in a minute. Now we can best understand what Jesus is warning us about by using his analogy, serving God versus serving money. What does it mean to serve God? So they can help us understand what it means to serve money. Well, serving God is you worship God. You reflect on God. You, you look at God in all kinds of different ways. One of the things that we do when we get together and we worship and we sing and sing the cool songs that we sing uh, uh, in our services is, is they're beautiful songs and they're well written and the, the poetry and the words is just fabulous. And it's constantly looking at different ways of thinking about God and how God blesses our lives and moves in our lives. And as you reflect on that, you worship and you praise and you celebrate God. So we worship God. We work for the advancement of his kingdom. We're totally committed to him. We sacrifice for him. We treat him with great reverence. And we have a zeal or passion for God. Sadly, to the shame of many, a lot of people do the exact same thing with money. They worship money. So what do you mean why worship money? Sure, a lot of people, they they reflect on money. Ooh, wouldn't it be great to have this? Oh, if I just won the lottery, wouldn't it be fabulous? I could do this with that money. I could do this. And we just fantasize and we think and we reflect and we look at it from different ways. What are we doing? We are worshiping mammon. 
something we should not do. A lot of us work hard and just totally consumed about getting more money. We're totally committed to money. We sacrifice for money. We treat money with great reverence and we have a great zeal or passion for money. In short, we start serving and worshiping at this altar instead of just worshiping at God's altar. You know, I uh, do a lot of traveling around the country, as you all well know, and uh, ever since, I don't know, fall of last year, I've been doing more and more television appearances, and uh, it's great fun, great opportunities to speak into millions of people's lives. One show that I've been on quite a bit over the last six months is the uh, Jim Baker Show, which is now in Branson, Missouri, and uh, I don't know how many of you remember uh, Jim Baker, but... uh, um, Back in the early 80s, he built the largest Christian network and uh, really Christian retreat center the world had ever seen. I mean, this this place was really something. Uh, you see Christian networks today like TBN and some of these other things. We don't get them in Green Bay unless you have Dish Network or something. But they're huge. But Baker's network was way bigger than anything Pat Robertson ever had or Jerry Falwell ever had or, or uh, TBN's ever had. It was massive. It was incredible. And the amount of people they drew every year to that place was stunning. The only place in America that drew more people was Disney World. They drew more even than Disneyland. I mean, Six Flags, anything. None of those places drew as many people as came to Heritage USA. This place was phenomenal. Huge, bustling meal. They had, it was like a Christian theme park, but yet they had these great services and they had their broadcasts that went all over the world. And it was, how many of you remember those days watching... Baker and those guys. Yeah, it was really something. Uh, uh, Anyway, he did what so many pastors do today. They get so caught up in their ministry. get so caught up working for Jesus, they forget about Jesus. And their attentions turn elsewhere. And they're just working hard. And instead of letting God empower them and working off of the strength of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they start trusting their own strength and they start to fail. And you can read about it in his book. He has a fabulous book. It's called I Was Wrong. Great big letters on the front of the end. It's a big book, but it's a fascinating read of how this incredible position, how he got knocked down to nothing because of the mistakes that he had made. But one of the mistakes he had made, his marriage was falling apart. He was at war with his wife, was resentful of her. Da, da, da. And one day, I don't know, it was about 1985 or whatever. Uh, and, and remember, his devotion life had gone to nothing. He was just, just a mess, all caught up in this big organization he had built. But uh, he, uh, in really more of a a fit of anger against his wife to try and hurt her, had a one-time sexual indiscretion with a a girl in Florida. Well, uh, it happened the one time and no one heard anything about it. And it wasn't until years later when it finally came out. And when it did, then all the heat was on and he decided to step down from Heritage for a while and Jerry Falwell took it over for a while and all these things. Until the... People started coming in and looking very closely at the money and the way the money was handled. And they were, and by his own admission, very excessive. These guys spent money like drunken monkeys. I mean, these guys, they, they built stuff that was incredible, but spent money themselves, took in millions of dollars. And, you know, even their dog had an air-conditioned house. I mean, it, it, they did. It was, it was nuts what they did. Uh, so they started looking at that, and then people got real mad, and then the Government came in and started to prosecute him for misappropriation of funds and claimed he was handling funds in an illegal way. Uh, convicted him, threw him into prison. He was in prison for five years. Went from the heights to hell and for five years was in prison. And was then were released. And eventually that whole conviction was overturned. While they were excessive, uh, the courts ruled later that in fact they had not broken any laws. 
um, you know, and that he wasn't guilty. But it didn't matter. He'd spent five years. He lost everything. Then over the next 10, 15 years, he uh, submitted himself. He was humiliated and he worked under other pastors and finally restored. And recently now started ministering again, doing the same kind of thing, though on a much smaller scale. And has his show now. Well, anyway, I say all that to say this. As I travel around the country, I've never had it here, but I've traveled around the country. I run into people who get mad at me because I associate with him at all. And why do you have anything to do with that guy? You shouldn't have anything to do with him. What's the, yeah, he's a, and I go, dude, you need to forgive him for the mistakes that he made. And here's the response I always get. Oh, I don't care about the sex. I don't care about that. It's the money. It's the money. <laughs> and and I've always thought about that. And I just heard it again recently. And I, I remember I was, I was laying in bed early one morning and, uh, about a week or two ago. And uh, just trying to think, why, why do people act so weird like that? And it was like I felt the Lord spoke to my heart. You don't hear me say that very often. One thing you can rest assured if I tell you that, at least I really believe it. <laughs> but I mean, I've, I felt like he spoke to my heart and he says, the reason they're so mad is it offends their God, mammon. And I went, Whoa. Whoa. Is that what's going on? They don't care that Jesus gets offended. Who cares about Jesus? Just don't offend mammon. We love mammon. We appreciate mammon. See, we serve at two altars. We bow before the altar of Jesus. And we worship Jesus. And we love Jesus. And we sing songs about Jesus. And it's all fast. But we also get that the idol of mammon. And we love mammon. Suck it to me mammon. Hullaba, hullaba, hullaba mammon. You just love you mammon. You're so great. You're great. And then all of a sudden we find out about something that money wasn't handled in the right way. And we get mad. How dare you offend mammon. I love mammon. Jesus, I don't know. It's no big, he'll get over it. You can commit adultery. People don't care about that. You can lose devotion. You don't care about that. You may never read your Bible or pray. And your spiritual leader might be as carnal as the day is long. We don't care about that. But no, not for money. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Man, if you respond like that, you need to Repent. Now, while we're going out of our way, and we'll continue to go out of our way to ensure that every dollar you give to this place is handled with integrity and full accountability, man, don't be worshiping mammon. And don't be having a cow if mammon gets offended in some way. Pastor, I heard that you bought toilet paper for 25 cents a roll. You could have gotten it for 14 cents a roll. How dare you offend mammon? So Mammon gets upset. <laughs> Get a life. Goodness gracious. And people, they just, they just love their money. And they just love their money. Pastor, I'd love to give to this church, but how can I be sure the money will be safe? How can I be sure the money will be taken care of? Oh, how can I know? How can I know? I've got to know before I give you any money. It's like they're giving up their baby for adoption. It is. Well, I'd love to give you my baby, but what kind of people are you? And, and do you know how to take care of babies? And we need to do a background check on these two. Well, not my baby. It's my baby. Man, you need a swirly. <laughs> you act that way about your money. You need to get slapped in the face. 
for crying out loud. Quit loving and caring and worshiping the money. Like I said, this is going to be a little confusing this morning. Yes, we're going to be as open as we can, as accountable as we conceivably can. We've got nothing to hide from anybody. But good Lord, stop with the mammon worship. Stop with the freaking out it's about the money. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. I don't care if mammon gets offended. We'll do as wise and as smart as we can. But if we don't do everything so... And here, you know, here's the thing. Here's another way you can tell who you're serving. If you say, well, pastor, I'm just concerned about God. I'm just concerned about the kingdom of God. You know, people who are really concerned about God and, and God not being offended and, and, and doing righteous, the one thing that marks them at the same time is their willingness to forgive. Because we serve a God who is quick to forgive. And even though God gets offended and we're concerned about the kingdom, if mistakes are made, okay, well, let's do it right. But there's forgiveness and there's grace. But not when you serve mammon. Oh, man, there's no forgiveness. How dare you! How dare you and, and I just associating with this man? You know, why would you associate with someone who's made a mistake? I don't know. It's called forgiveness. How Christians have a hard time with that is beyond me. How Christians have a hard time with people making mistakes and then making it right. Do you know why? Because they don't really serve this God. They're serving this one. And this one has no forgiveness. No compassion. No chance of getting it right. Once you blow it, you blow it. Don't you be like that. Let's serve at the God's altar of heaven and earth. Serve his son Jesus Christ. Be filled with his Holy Spirit. Walk in love and kindness. And again, be as open and as honest as we can. But let's not get crazy. Let's not get nuts. Keep open-handed with what you give. Not this. Don't rock that baby. It's not a baby. It's just money. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. I'm going to have our ushers come at this time, get ready to serve as communion, our musicians to come back up and get ready for our communion time. You can't serve both God and mammon, so the important question this morning is, who are you serving? You pretty much can figure it out by going through that list. What do you worship? What do you work for the advancement of? Who are you totally committed to? Who are you willing to sacrifice for? What do you treat with great reverence? And who do you have great zeal and passion for? The true and living God or the things of this life? Pastor, you're saying people can't have money? Of course not. You can have all kinds of money. You can have money up to wazoo and still make God number one. You can be multi-millionaires. I hope you do. I hope many of you become multi-gazillionaires and tithe. A lot of you working hard, business ideas and stuff, man, I'm praying for you guys, man. You succeed. I hope you become wildly successful. You can be successful as conceivably be, but it only becomes a problem when you're more concerned about the money than you are about the kingdom of God. 
Don't put your trust in things that are temporary. Put your trust in things that are eternal. What you have, what you see, what you feel and touch, it doesn't last. But what is unseen lasts forever. The Bible says, Jesus taught us, lay it for yourself treasures in heaven. Don't put all your trust in things down here. So the question this morning is, are you living for the God, God of heaven or are you all consumed about things and stuff and money? This morning, if you're willing to turn away from the wrong that's in your life, put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can begin living for the God of heaven and begin serving him. I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer. We're about to take communion. So when we reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave for us, his body broken so we could be whole, his blood shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. If you will put your trust in Jesus, he can forgive you of your sins and you can start living your life for him. Let him transform you. Let him bless you. Let him energize your life. But always putting him first. If you'd like to give your life to Christ, if you've never done that today, we're going to pray a prayer together. And I'm going to invite everybody to pray this with us. And if you'll mean this from the bottom of your heart, you can begin your first steps of faith with Christ today. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you love me so much, you went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart. And forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.